Hi, I'm Callie Miller. Growing up in an alcoholic home requires us to tell lies to ourselves, to others. We don't want to believe what is happening and then we are asked not to tell anyone what's happening. And so we stay silent, terrified, complicit in lies, lies that are not our own. And we'll do anything just to try to survive. I've learned over the years that these lies can become toxic, that these secrets can literally make us sick, that what we never look at can never be healed, and that sharing our secrets, telling our stories, saying out loud what has happened to us is one of the most profound ways for us to begin to heal, especially if we do it in a community. That's why I created this podcast, this space, so we can have a safe place to share our stories, to confess our secrets, so they no longer own us, so they no longer have power over us. You are not alone. And this is the Change of Air podcast. Hi, I'm so grateful that you're continuing to join and just know that there is so much incredible healing in store for all of us today in this episode. Why? Because we're going to cover something that is really important. With these first several podcast episodes, I really want to cover what I think is the foundation. What was the foundation for me? What helped me kind of get my bearings, if you will, in this world of, you know, okay, my parents were alcoholics. How has this affected me? What are the tools available to me? Where do I go from here? So in these first several episodes, I'm wanting to cover the basics, lay the foundation, at least what the basics were for me. Everyone else will have other tools that were great, and that's why I'll be talking to all of you, so we can share those tools with everyone. But today, we're going to talk about a very particular topic, which is the meetings. If you've downloaded my free PDF, which is sort of like, hey, I just figured out I'm an ACOA, and and here's like the basic information you'll need, I cover meetings. I list several meetings that I think are really helpful. But if you've followed me for the past few years and read a lot of my social media posts and a lot of my much longer blog posts, you also know that I have a complicated relationship with meetings. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. I also want to make sure we cover what meetings are available. And I want to be really clear and straightforward about what they offer and how you can find a meeting today if you're needing help and support. I think that's really important. There are meetings if you need help today. I'll also go into a little bit of my own story to give you context about why for me, some of these meetings have been a challenge in both a good way and a bad way. Most broadly, most importantly, I think when we're not ready to deal with things that trigger us, it's easy to say it was the meeting. I've had a yoga practice for a long time. I practiced Ashtanga for a very long time. And then after years, switched to a completely different kind of yoga. And I always liken meetings to a yoga practice. In yoga class, if you are struggling with a pose, if you're just not feeling it in your body that day, if at the end of class, you felt like awful about yourself, your body, your feelings, it's really easy to say it was the teacher when it's not. In the same way, (laughs) it's, I think, easy when we're navigating really hard things like dealing with disordered homes and alcoholic parents. It's easy to think, 
Ah, it was the meeting. I didn't get what I needed out of this. I didn't get an immediate solution. I'm not immediately healed. It was the meeting. It's not the yoga class. It's not the meeting. It's not the teacher. It's 100% us. And a lot of the experiences of these meetings that I've had have obviously been about me because I experienced them from a very young age. But as I've learned so much more over the past several decades about this, and I've researched and studied all the different approaches, including obviously mining my own experience, I do understand that some of the meeting structures simply aren't for me, or certainly weren't for me initially. So it wasn't the meeting itself that wasn't right for me. But as I got wiser and understood myself better, I can now see why some of these meetings that we'll cover today just kind of didn't work for me then or what worked for me and what I still find so valuable about them. So I want to share that context with you because I do think it's easy to feel as if if these meetings don't work for you, something's wrong with you. Not the case. It takes everyone a good amount of time to find the right set of tools. That's why in my free guide, I cover so many. It doesn't mean you need to use all of them. I just know that for me, it took a long time to find the kind of that right mix. And everyone has a slightly different mix. So for any of these meetings that we talk about today, if you've been to them already, if you're going to go to one today after listening to this episode, I don't want you to worry about if it doesn't really resonate or if those first meetings don't feel perfect or great or heal you entirely because they won't. Um, And it's really common to feel like, huh, I'm not sure if I love that. So that's the context there. And every one of us, as I said, has different tools that ultimately is kind of the right network of things that make sense. If it's therapy, therapy plus meetings, therapy plus meetings plus yoga, I mean, you know this if you followed me for the years. I go to therapy a lot. I believe in the power of therapy. I will sing it from the rooftops over and over and over again. Get you a good therapist. It is life-changing. And once you find therapy, it could be actually you realize that it's therapy and hiking. and Or it's therapy and being part of a local running club to get your community. And that's what gets it done for you. Or you could be reading a book and going to Al-Anon meetings or Codependence Anonymous meetings or ACA meetings, all three of which we're going to talk about today. It could even be, and I think this is so important as we talk about the meetings, it could be that the way that you interact with the information and the system of Al-Anon, for example, or ACA is the book that they share, not the meeting. It could be that you go to meetings and hate the book. And we'll get into all of this. But I just, I want you to know, first and foremost, that there are lots of different groups, lots of different meetings every single day. But I do know people who interact with the book and love the book and don't go to the meetings and vice versa. There are also meetings, no matter where you are in the United States and all over the world, there are mostly meetings every day. I will say that there are not as many Al-Anon and ACA and CODA, Codependence Anonymous, which we'll talk about, there are not as many meetings every day as Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. There are like 10 AA meetings a day and maybe two Al-Anon meetings a week. When I was younger, that really pissed me off. So my very first meeting was Al-Anon. So we'll start with Al-Anon. 
Al-Anon was created for people who are worried about someone with a drinking problem. That's how they define themselves. So it doesn't necessarily have to be your parents. It can be your partner. It can be your uncle. It could be a friend. It can be anyone in your life who you are worried about who has a drinking problem and you don't quite know how to handle it and you don't have the tools to figure out what's going on with them meaningfully. And you certainly don't have the tools to know how to work with yourself in this process so that you have safe boundaries, so that you have a really clear understanding of, you know, like you didn't cause it, you didn't control it, you can't heal them. Some of these kind of key ideas about your role and your job in how to navigate life with an alcoholic in your life right now in the present. So Al-Anon was created for people who are worried about someone with a drinking problem right now. There are regular meetings every single week all over the world, tons in the United States, in every single city, every single day. And they provide a community of people who are struggling with the very same issues that you are. And they give guidance on how to focus on your own healing rather than constantly worrying about the alcoholic, which, as we know, is very easy to do. So Al-Anon is very close in structure to Alcoholics Anonymous. It also begins with two A's, AA, Al-Anon, AA. And my very first Al-Anon meeting was when I was a teenager. And it was a meeting that happened right alongside my mother's AA meeting. She would go to AA and I would go to Al-Anon. And again, I was a teenager. So full context here at 14, I certainly did not know myself meaningfully. I did not quite understand then like everything that was going on. I obviously knew my mother was an alcoholic or she wouldn't be going to AA meetings, but I really resented having to go. I resented having to get therapy for a problem that wasn't mine. I also really did not appreciate, and this is something that has stuck with me all of these years, even now. It's part of why I created Change of Air. I didn't appreciate that I had to do a lot of work and use language like a recovery language. I don't love the recovery language in Al-Anon. I didn't love the multi-step approach, 12 steps, obviously, to be exact, which is very much like AA. As a teenager, I felt that Al-Anon was just like kind of the rules for an alcoholic, but sort of sloppily repurposed for me. And I resented the hell out of that. It just didn't seem correct to me, appropriate to me, safe to me. It certainly didn't feel good to me that I was being dropped off at a meeting for a problem that wasn't mine, that I didn't create, and that the language used to help me figure out my stuff that I didn't create on my own was recovery language. The language of AA, the language of my mother, that was language for her and her problem, not mine. I didn't need to recover from something because I wasn't doing anything wrong. That was my lens as a teenager on Al-Anon. And so that's what brought resentment into my life around all things Al-Anon for many, many years. I hated the language. I hated the steps. And I just didn't feel like I deserved to have to be there because I was not the person with the drinking problem. So, you know, (laughs) if you show up with that kind of attitude to anything in life, you're not going to get a ton out of it. I didn't get a ton out of Al-Anon for a long time because I resented the language and felt so angry that I had to be getting help for a problem I didn't create. But I will say this, what Al-Anon did give me 
in my early teen years, and I didn't go to Alateen, and maybe that was part of the problem. I was quite young, and everyone else in my meetings were much older. They were mostly adults. That might have been part of the problem. I certainly was not sitting in meetings with my peers, and maybe my experience would have been different if that had been the case. But what Al-Anon gave me that was so valuable, even despite the recovery language, even despite all my resentments, is it was a group of people who were going through the exact same thing. Now, as we've talked about for years, every story is different. My alcoholic home probably looked very different from yours. And it goes through seasons, right? Like just as we go through seasons in life, there were years for me where it was really wild at home. And then years where my mom had gone to rehab and it was a little bit better for a while. And then there were years where my stepdad started drinking and then they were both drinking. And that had its ups and downs and seasons where it was really, really bad. And then where it was like, you know, okay, we're not talking about this. We feel a lot of shame and it's deeply toxic, but it's like not as reckless as it was a year ago. It's not so damaging to my schoolwork and soccer practice. And so this is okay. So I know everyone's experience is different, and you will hear those different stories in every one of the meetings that you attend. That was really powerful to me. My first Al-Anon meetings and just listening to other people trying to figure out, like, how much is my fault, which, I mean, obviously the answer is absolutely none of it is our fault, but we don't know that when we're young and we're trying to figure it out, we're trying to figure out our role in it, are we contributing to this, how do I make this stop? But to see these people trying to figure out how I navigate this, um, these this just happened in my home and I'm freaking out. My mom just did X, Y, Z. My husband just did X, Y, Z. My sister's doing X, Y, Z. Those stories of people struggling with how to figure it out, even if they're not like your stories at all, were extremely valuable to me because I could see, just as we talked about with the 13 characteristics in the last episode, I could see that I wasn't alone. And even though their stories were different from mine, we were obviously struggling with ultimately the same thing, which was how to take care of ourselves in a really stressful situation that was extremely confusing. These were our parents. They were meant to keep us safe. We should have received unconditional love from them. We should feel not only just okay in their presence, we should feel loved in their presence. We should not have to survive our parents' behavior. Obviously, I couldn't articulate any of those things to myself at that time, but seeing other people try to figure that out was really helpful to me. I still resented the steps. I still hated the recovery language. I didn't like that I had to go with my mom and that she would go to AA and I would go to Al-Anon and then we'd drive home together because she always wanted to talk about it. And I was so resentful of her wanting to talk about it like this was helpful for me. I just kept saying to her over and over again, like, I should not have to be here because it's you that's making me be here. None of us would have to be here. None of us would have to go to family therapy if you would just stop drinking. So my Al-Anon experience was laced with all of that frustration. But the through line was the people and their stories. Even though it did take me a very long time to appreciate Al-Anon, like I went away to school, I went to college... I stopped going to Al-Anon meetings and short of a few times in my life where I'd be in different cities and I felt like I really needed a meeting, I stayed away from Al-Anon meetings for a long time. That said, I know people who go as often as they can and find them extremely helpful. 
And I've gone to them myself in the past several years, not just as research, but truly as support. My stepfather passed away several years ago, not too long ago, a couple years ago, from cirrhosis of the liver, which is exactly what my mother died of 20 years ago, which I talked about in episode one. And I needed support again because I was dealing with a whole host of like family pressure. They felt like I wasn't taking good care of him, that I wasn't flying home enough now that he was really sick and it was clear that he was dying of cirrhosis of the liver. And they all acted like he had just caught pneumonia or like got a bad flu. They were treating it like, oh, isn't this terrible? This thing he caught, how come you're not coming home? And I was like, it is and not like he caught the flu. He had total control over his behavior and he chose not to control it. It also brought up all of these feelings that his side of the family never intervened when I was younger, never saw what was going on, though I told them dozens of times what was happening in our home and how violent he could get and how terrifying it was to be at home. They sort of ignored all of that. And then once he was sick and we're all adults, they were very nasty to me about not being present enough without almost erasing my entire childhood experience with him. So I definitely needed support. And definitely that that was it became a very toxic brew of family expectations. And I know a lot of you have reached out about this. We have DM'd many times. Many of us have ongoing conversations that you're actively dealing with caretaking of your alcoholic parents right now. I absolutely get it. We will we could do 10 episodes on family guilt. <laughs> um, and we will be, we are going to, like, I just had a DM yesterday with a long standing, you know, change of air community member who is struggling with exactly that right now of like dealing with family members, placing inappropriate pressure on them around how to care for an alcoholic parent who by their very nature of being an alcoholic parent was probably super crummy to you. And that can bring up so much resentment and guilt and shame and anger and so much anger about like, I had to live this way because you drank. I've had to spend all these years of my life trying to understand myself and unpack this and heal. And now you're dying. And now I'm meant to take care of you after you did all these things to me. It's very complicated. <laughs> and so we will do several episodes about that because it is a lot. And I know a lot of you are struggling with that right now. When I was dealing with that a few years ago, I found I needed to go back to Al-Anon. I needed meetings. I needed to be in meetings with other people who are navigating similar things because the first round of Al-Anon, I wasn't dealing with that quite specific issue. I remember people talking about it many years ago, but I had not experienced the caretaking guilt, parent terrible to me my whole life. Now I have to somehow take care of them at the end of their life and their life is ending because they're drinking very, very complicated. And Al-Anon was extremely helpful to me, as was therapy. You know, I'll always mention therapy. But at a bare minimum, I knew that I needed support. I needed to be in group. So I went back to Al-Anon. So some of the best parts of Al-Anon for me were the stories and the people. And after a meeting, chatting with other people, exchanging numbers so that, you know, if something got really bad, I had someone I could text. Those were important. Certainly navigating with my stepfather and the toxic kind of family stuff I was dealing with. So that's been my experience with Al-Anon. It's going to be very different for you if you don't bring a, an entire toxic teen mix to it as I did. But I know hundreds of people by now who've, who've reached out via change of air, who've been in other meetings, 
and who find Al-Anon and the structure of Al-Anon to be vital to their own healing. They find it to be the most important piece. And though I struggled with the recovery language, in air quotes, I have come to understand now, all these years later, that we are ultimately recovering. We're not recovering from an alcohol addiction, but we are recovering from how we grew up. It has taken me years to feel okay saying that instead of feeling like recovery was a dirty word. It felt like a dirty word that was being applied to us, like to people who didn't have a drinking problem. But honestly, we are in recovery. We're recovering from what happened. And Al-Anon has been instrumental in that recovery for me and for a lot of people. So if you are finding that you're doing some things, like you're reading the books, I'll have a whole episode about the books. If you're finding, I just need to be somewhere where I'm supported. I need to be in a room with other people going through the same things. Definitely check out Al-Anon. The meeting site is extremely straightforward. I will link it in the show notes. They have a really easy meeting finder. They have meetings everywhere. During COVID times, they have online meetings. And I always got annoyed, as I mentioned, when I was younger, that there were sort of less meetings for us than there were for the alcoholics. Um, But something I've learned to get over. The other thing I will say is being in a meeting can be transformative, but it also depends on the actual meeting. So if you live in a larger city that has multiple Al-Anon meetings, Let's take Los Angeles, for example, where I've attended a lot of AA meetings or Al-Anon meetings. See, I did it. I switched already AA to Al-Anon. Oh, it's insidious. So like the West Side Santa Monica meeting is really different vibe than the Pasadena meeting or the West Hollywood meeting or the downtown meeting. And that's really important. If you decide to go to a meeting today or this week as a result of listening to this podcast episode, I want you to know that your first couple meetings may be... Ugh, icky. You may not like them. And you may have to go to a few to find your people. And you may never find your people. I know people who, even alcoholics who are 20 years sober, who go to AA meetings, and they don't love their AA meetings. They don't really vibe with any of the people in them, but they appreciate the structure it provides for them in their sobriety. So in a similar way, it might take you some time to find your people, or at least where you feel comfortable sharing. Ultimately, this is your healing. You get to decide what feels best to you. And whether it's the meetings, the books, whatever we talk about, whatever I share on Change of Air, if any of these things don't feel right for you, they're not right for you. Or maybe they're not right for you right now. Maybe they add pressure or are triggering because of your specific experience that's different than mine or different than someone else's in your meetings. Maybe they'll, they're not right for you right now, but they will be in the future. Maybe you'll outgrow some, some modalities, some books. Maybe you went to Al-Anon for a really long time, like me, and now it's kind of not the thing you need. If it doesn't feel great, don't do it. <laughs> Even though this healing often doesn't feel great and is hard, I think it's so important for us to be so gentle with ourselves and so kind to ourselves And if any of these tools don't feel great or trigger you or apply an amount of pressure and stress that feels like too much, don't do them. There are so many tools available to us and you will find ones that feel great for you. The entire goal of change of air, the entire point of us healing is to find things that feel great and supportive and loving and healing and safe. We have had enough of not feeling great. 
So that's of prime importance. We've done, we know what it's like to feel not great. Your healing and how you choose to do this and the meetings you choose and the resources you use and the modalities you practice, they need to feel really good. But it does sometimes take a few meetings in a few different places to kind of get a sense of what feels best to you and what would be most supportive. So you can go to Al-Anon, use their meeting finder, get a sense of, you know, how many meetings are around you and start to get a sense of how you could fold that into your life in on a regular basis. One last note on Al-Anon before we move on to the next meetings. I know a lot of people can get hung up, particularly with Al-Anon, on the religious aspects of it. There's a lot of talk of a higher power. There are mentions of God, giving stuff over to God. Higher power is used a lot. And I think that for alcoholics, There are other options besides AA that are kind of non-dogmatic. Like I can think of a few that are very meditation-based that have that mention no higher powers. Al-Anon does. And I'm a pretty woo-woo person in general. So uh, it didn't bother me too much. I, we will get into this in another podcast episode, had a very religious upbringing. I went to a very religious school for 13 years, intensely religious which also shaped so many things. And I've had to heal from that in so many ways. So I personally don't subscribe to any kind of religion per se, like growing up the way that I did in a very religious school with rules and order and then coming home and my parents were drunk and there were no rules was deeply confusing. So for me, the the religious piece of it uh, bothered me a little, but I'm so open to the idea of a higher power and the universe and energy and all of those sorts of things. So I would just say that with any of these programs, some of the language stresses you out or feels like a little too religious and that's what turns you off, try to think of it as not religious, but maybe as just a higher power, a different energy, the universe, or even seeking out some programs maybe that are a little less intense. And we'll talk about some today that that are maybe a little bit less intense about the higher power stuff. I know a lot of people in AA in particular get stuck on the higher power God bit And then they use that as a reason not to get sober. As in, AA doesn't work for me because I don't believe in God. So if those same resistances are showing up for you, I don't like Al-Anon because it mentions higher power, so I don't need Al-Anon and I don't need help and support as I move through this healing with alcoholics in my life. I encourage you to think through, do I really feel this upset about the higher power God stuff? Or am I using that as an excuse to not go to this group, which I'm uncomfortable going to and I'm really nervous about? Super common to be very nervous about going. So just examine that and keep that in mind. Okay, so that's Al-Anon. There's another group called ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics. And their approach and how they describe themselves is this. ACA provides a safe, non-judgmental environment that allows us to grieve our childhoods and conduct an honest inventory of ourselves and our family so that we can identify and heal core trauma, experience freedom from shame and abandonment, and become our own loving parents. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. And you can already see, I think, sort of a different approach from Al-Anon to ACA. And after attending my first ACA meetings, I realized, wow, I really wish I had gone to this early on when I was younger and was very new to being an ACOA 
I once I had gone to ACA, I thought, oh, I wish I did this instead of Al-Anon. It's just a different approach. ACA approaches things from a slightly different perspective. So instead of it being, how do I deal with an active alcoholic in my life? What are the choices I can make right now to be safe and to get help? How do I make decisions? You know, what are safe boundaries for me right now in the moment? ACA takes a bit more of a, you're now an adult and you may now be actively dealing with behaviors. You're, you may now be unearthing things and realizing like, huh, growing up in the environment I grew up in has affected every part of my life. And I kind of need to understand it all. And I need to understand how this affected me and what I can do about it. So their approach of kind of grieving our childhoods, owning the pain of it, what it felt like to have parents who were not present who did not provide love and guidance, who maybe made us very confused about what love even is or feels like, what it, you know, things that made us actually quite comfortable with chaos and drama. So much that we probably unconsciously seek out in relationships now as adults, in work situations, in any situation. ACA starts to help us understand all of that. It's less about, again, this is in my experience in the meetings I attended, it's less about practical on the ground. I have an alcoholic in my life. What am I supposed to do right now? What's the decision? What's fair? Should I count their beers? (laughs) Those kinds of things. Um, And much more about, okay, this has happened to you. Here's how we're going to now heal from it. We recognize this was trauma, which I don't feel like Al-Anon ever properly does a good job of saying like, yes, you experienced trauma. So ACA focuses on trauma and really owns it and calls it trauma. I could do 10 episodes on how heartbreaking it is that we, as ACOAs, don't ever identify. I mean, I certainly didn't identify what we experienced as trauma. So we never seek help for trauma. I mean, I grew up thinking that, quote unquote, trauma and PTSD were for people who had been to war, who had witnessed very serious, like, one-time violence, who've been assaulted, I didn't know that growing up in a home for 18 years of constant arguing and fighting and throwing things and parents being unavailable to me and secrets and lies and sublimating my own needs and shoving them down just to make the peace so there was no more yelling, I didn't realize that was trauma, but it is. And I didn't know to seek out any kind of help for trauma because we're given this very narrow definition of what it is. I remember the first time a therapist said to me, quite recently, actually, just a few years ago, my current therapist said, Callie, what you have experienced and what you are describing is trauma. I had suspected that over all these years, but to have someone finally say that to me, say those actual words, a licensed therapist, it validated everything I've been feeling. But it also made me feel like, whoa, this is real. And I have to deal with this. I have to really take a look at this. Like trauma feels like much more serious than I didn't like my parents' behavior (laughs) when I was growing up. And ACA begins to help with that and gives sort of a, a way to work through all the feelings of shame and abandonment and anger and helps us understand like how on the other side of that, once we understand the shame and abandonment and anger and everything else that comes up, how do we figure out how to be ourselves? Like what our parents could not be? How do we learn to parent ourselves, reparent ourselves? How do we even be 
I think immediately of this one Instagram quote, you know how I feel about Instagram therapy quotes, but there's that quote that you've all seen, be who you needed when you were younger. And ultimately, we do get to a place where we have to mother ourselves, father ourselves, reparent ourselves. And ACA is really focused on that kind of approach, which is very different than Al-Anon and was very helpful to me once I understood myself better and could even understand these concepts and recognize my own behaviors within myself. So that's the framework of ACA. There's also a giant red book that, I mean, it is giant. It is very big. <laughs> we'll have a whole episode on, on just the big red book. It's a really powerful book. There's a lot of great wisdom in it. And I know a lot of people like don't go to the meetings, but they love the book and vice versa. A lot of people go to the meetings just for the camaraderie and never look at the book. But it is a different framework and it approaches some of the more healing aspects of what we've been through instead of the practical on the ground, Al-Anon, alcoholic right now, what do I do? So their site is also really easy to navigate, adultchildren.org. I'll link it in the show notes. And they also have a meeting search and you can find meetings in every city. There are less ACA meetings than Al-Anon meetings in most cases, so you will have probably a little bit less to choose from, at least in my experience. But if I've lived and I've lived in big cities, so, you know, you in a larger city, you should be able to find many of them. We can do many episodes on healing and trauma and living in a time of COVID. But there are also the upside for COVID is that a lot of the meetings that were only in person are now online. So there are a lot of more meetings online right now in particular, if you want to do that instead. So that's ACA. The other meeting I want to talk about today is Codependence Anonymous or CODA. So many of you know, there's a great book that if you are an adult child of an alcoholic, you may have heard of. It's called Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. I'll link that in the show notes as well. It is the foundational book. Uh, certainly the first book I read, the first time I even understood the word codependent, the first time I'd heard it, the first time I'd seen it defined. And the word codependent for me, certainly when I read it when I was much younger, had kind of the same feeling for me as the 13 characteristics. I just thought, Ugh, I don't really know what codependent means, but I don't want to be it. <laughs> I don't want this. I don't want to participate in it. Whatever this word is, it sounds bad. And I hope it doesn't apply to me. I was young. <laughs> Though we talk about Instagram quotes, I think they're one thing that Instagram therapists do extremely well is a lot of graphics about helping us understand what codependency actually is. Again, not in some old book with weird fonts that feels outdated, but sort of modern approaches and current day life of what codependency is and how we might behaving, how we might be behaving in a codependent manner in kind of all of our relationships, not just the relationship with our alcoholic parents. So we'll get into an entire episode on codependency with several experts. So stay tuned for that. But when I first experienced it and read it and started to to understand what it meant, I did not like the word codependent. It felt icky to me, and I knew that I just didn't want to be it. So I ignored Codependence Anonymous and really just read the edges of that book and then ignored everything for a, re for a solid amount of time, many, many years. And I think that's because I knew that it would force me in the loveliest way possible, perhaps, but I knew that it would force me to face some things that I didn't want to face. So the way that Codependence Anonymous describes themselves is as a 12-step program. So as you know, right away, 
I, 12 steps are a trigger for me. I immediately, you know, add codependent plus a 12 step program, not interested, didn't want to play for a really long time. Like I just felt, why should I be in a 12 step program because of something you have done? You are in a 12 step program, alcoholic parent. I don't need a 12 step program. So I rejected the very notion of CODA for a really long time. And that was really my attitude towards 12-step programs in general for a really long time. But Codependence Anonymous says they are a 12-step program for anyone who has experienced the painful trauma. Again, there's that word trauma. Anyone who has experienced the painful trauma of the emptiness of our childhood in a dysfunctional family system. The focus of Codependence Anonymous is to learn what behaviors lead to healthy relationships and to learn how to practice them regularly. Really different, right, from Al-Anon and different from ACA. And where I see a difference is that a lot of people who go to CODA meetings, their parents weren't necessarily alcoholics. They might be, they might have been addicted to a different substance. They might have been, had an, like, they might have had a narcissistic parent or grown up in a slightly different, disordered, dysfunctional family system. So in Codependence Anonymous, you're not necessarily dealing with, my parent is an alcoholic, what do I do? That's much more an Al-Anon thing. You won't deal with how, how do I handle this exact moment right now. But it is a lot more about you are now an adult and how do you take full responsibility for your own healing and how are you showing up in this world based on how you grew up. And it's a program and a structure to help you move through that in a way that gives you a sense of what do healthy relationships look like? <laughs> I mean, we could do 20 episodes on that because we don't know what they look like. I certainly didn't grow up looking at any healthy relationships. And I've certainly made a lot of mistakes in my own relationships because of that. CODA really helps you understand what codependent behavior is when we're enmeshed, for example, when we're always taking care of others but not ourselves, when we're trying to protect other people other alcoholics in our lives or romantic partners that we sort of treat like alcoholics, even though they're not. Husbands, wives, we're trying to control them, control their behavior. Also, we don't have to look at ourselves. Even deriving our sense of self-esteem from taking care of others, which, I mean, growing up in an alcoholic home, certainly for me, I learned very early on that if I wanted something, if I wanted to go to soccer practice, if I wanted to go on a field trip, if I just wanted to eat dinner not at midnight, if I expressed those feelings and it was not a good moment in my household to do so, there would be a lot of screaming, yelling, and punishment. Or I would get the silent treatment. So I learned very quickly that saying I wanted to eat before midnight and that I wanted to get to soccer practice on time and not be embarrassed for being late yet again because mom couldn't get it together... I learned those were crazy things to ask for. How dare I ask for them? And so I stopped asking for them. I shoved my needs down because I learned very early on that I was treated better by my parents and home was less scary and far more calm if I just had no needs. <laughs> if I had no needs at all, things were less intense because I wasn't asking for things. Years later... I realized that the very things I was asking for were so basic and straightforward. But I didn't know that at the time. I also learned 
that if I lied for my mother, if I hid her in the bedroom after she vomited all down the front of herself, if I took extra, extra care of her, she yelled at me less. So I learned that taking care of her saved me. And I learned that to really take care of her well meant I would have no needs at all. I couldn't take care of my mom and also demand dinner before midnight. I couldn't take care of my mom and also request that she get me to soccer practice on time. And so I learned that in that relationship with my mother. And I have lived a lot of my life that way in every relationship, in every work environment, in every romantic relationship. I would just keep all of my needs inside and do whatever I could to make the other person happy. That is a recipe for a lot of toxic anger that lives in your body for a really long time until you address it. And Codependence Anonymous is a really great place to begin to move through those things, to have a system that helps you understand what healthy relationships look like, what boundaries look like. And what I think is so great about CODA, it helps you understand, like right now today, what you should and shouldn't do in terms of what a codependent relationship looks like and what no longer being codependent looks like. You know, it's easy to know how to set boundaries, know what it is, know the definition, and then we get triggered by something and we move back into that old behavior. You get in an argument with your spouse, your kid is really stressing you out, something crazy is happening at work, and you go back into that behavior. So CODA is a really great... I'm sure they wouldn't love me saying this, but kind of a workshop, if you will. It's a meeting. There are shares. There are the 12 steps. But it's just sort of a real time, every meeting, every week. I'm working on this. Like, for example, I was supposed to do X. Like, you leave a meeting and saying, like, okay, we talked about setting these boundaries. I did set these boundaries. These boundaries were violated. I lost my shit. I didn't know how to handle it. And so now my boundaries are gone again. What do I do? Like, a very practical ways to begin to no longer be codependent in real time. So you can kind of get some real-time discussion and feedback in the meetings, at least the meetings I attended, and that was extremely helpful. Growing up the way we grew up, we not only know, we don't know what relationships look like, healthy relationships look like, we also don't know what they feel like. We didn't see that. We didn't learn what it's supposed to look like and feel like. So unconsciously, we can seek out situations. I, I always marvel at people who say, I met my significant other, or I took my dream job. We'll use the example of a partner. I met my partner. He just feels like home to me. She feels like home to me, which is a lovely sentiment. But if we grew up in a completely toxic, disordered home, toxic and disordered feels like home. It feels good. <laughs> And so unlearning those behaviors before we get married, before we take that huge big promotion that we maybe don't want, but we say yes to, to people, please. Understanding all these pieces and parts are extremely helpful. So those are the meetings I wanted to talk about today to give you part of this foundation I want to give in these first several Change of Air podcast episodes. Again, just with the other meetings, there are virtual meetings and I will link how you can find the meetings so that you can attend them. So hopefully those meetings give you a baseline. We've already talked in the previous episode about the 13 characteristics. There are countless ways that like nature and movement and all these different modalities in your stories and my stories and therapy and books. There's so many things that have been instrumental in my own healing and that will be instrumental in yours. 
And I can't say that any one of these meetings, like, oh, Al-Anon meetings changed my life or ACA meetings were the ticket. But each one of them has played a really significant part in helping me to understand the framework of, okay, I grew up in an alcoholic home with alcoholic parents. If you also had alcoholic parents, there are some common themes that we've all experienced, and these are things to look out for. That has been extremely helpful for me, and I've gotten little bits and pieces from every single one of these meetings. You may find it to be completely different. You may never go to all three. You may find one that is absolutely your thing, and it saves you. But And you may go to none. You may just read the books. But all three were instrumental in me slowly beginning to understand. Kind of like climbing the ladder of knowledge. Like, it's possible that this might have happened to me. This is how to deal with it. Here are some things that you might experience in your relationships and in your life. And if you experience anger, this might be where it's coming from. If you have shame, this might be where it's coming from. This might be why you take care of people too much. This might be why you do XYZ. And here's a healthier way to do that. All three of these meetings and these frameworks were vital to me along the pathway. I I don't want to say to healing because no one, I I don't think you ever heal. It's an ongoing thing. We're never going to arrive at a place where we're like, that's it. Cool. I'm done. I'm done healing. But each of these meetings was instrumental to me. And I want you to have that information so that if you are right now listening to this in your car or wherever you are, if there are tears in your eyes, if you're laughing because you're like, oh my God, I went through this exact same thing. I felt that same way. Whatever it is. I want you to know that all of these meetings right now, today, as you listen to this, are available to you where you are. And if you need support that isn't Instagram quotes and you don't see your therapist until next week, and you simply want to be in the presence of other humans navigating the same space, these meetings are available to you. And I want you to know that, and I want you to know that they are safe. You might not love all of them when you go, but they are available to you right now. Okay. I'm sending you so much love. Thank you for being here. More next week.